Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When did we stop using a travel advisor? Travelsmiths waiving fees for Warden's Watch listeners and working with first responders to give them discounts on travel needs. Call them 732-899-8400 or travelsmiths.com. That's T-R-A-V-E-L. S-M-I-T-H-S dot com and see how they can assist you. 33 years in the business does make a difference. Call Sally and give her a chance. I think you will be impressed. This is Game Warden Wayne Saunders and let them know Warden's Watch Podcast sent you. Wish you could fish more, anywhere, anytime. Rod Geeks, a St. Croix Rods partner, has developed a 42-inch one-piece travel rod designed and built with the same technology found in St. Croix Rods. This travel rod is offered as a kit that comes with the RG42 rod, spinning reel, fishing line, pliers, and tackle tray. All in a case with space for your wallet, phone, and fishing license. Just grab and go. Perfect to keep in your pickup, car, or RV. This shorty performs much like a longer rod, but is compact enough for easy storage and for on-the-go use. Make this the summer you fish more. RodGeeks.com Guidefitter is the industry network for professional outdoor guides and outfitters. The trusted destination for consumers seeking and sharing guided hunting and fishing experiences of a lifetime. And the enterprise influencer marketing platform for outdoor brands. Guidefitter and its members represent the pulse of the guided hunting and fishing industry. Guidefitter's outdoor partners provide discounts to select types of outdoor professionals, including game wardens, members of the military, guides, outfitters, and other outdoor professionals. Over 145 brand partners and counting. Gear across many categories, including packs, footwear, clothing, flashlights, knives, optics, even firearms and ammo. For more information, go to guidefitter.com slash wardenswatch. That's wardenswatch, all one word. 
I'm Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and I'm a member of GuideFitter. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. This podcast is brought to you by Maine Operation Game Thief and Wildlife Heritage, a foundation of New Hampshire at nhwildlifeheritage.org and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch, episode 31. And today, for the first time, we are going to get into this uh, podcast. John Norris and I are podcasting together. John from California, me from New Hampshire. Yep. Coast to coast, man, we're doing it. Thin Green Line is in action. Yeah, it's exciting, Wayne. Yeah, no, it's 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 very, very, very exciting. Nope, I'm 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 psyched, and things just seem to flow really good with us, John. Uh, once we get on a subject, I think we both have. Uh, you have a West Coast opinion, I have an East Coast opinion, but it, it seems to be the middle. <laughs> yeah, it, it really does. You yeah. know, we're, we find a lot of like mindedness everywhere between us throughout the country that we're going to dive into with the show. So uh, it's going to be fun. Game wardens are cut from the same cloth of of same cloth, maybe different personalities, different skill sets. You know, the one, the one thing I'm finding this skill set of fixing things is going away, and kids haven't. You know, and, right. and, and it's my fault too because when, when I go to fix something, it's so much problems to bring my kid in here to show him how to to do a bolt, and when I tell him to go get a you know a wrench or something, he doesn't know, and I'm like, that's my fault that I haven't brought him in. So now he now I don't think he enjoys it. But every time we have to work on the tractor or something, I drag him along just so he knows what kind of wrenches or what, and go get the ball peen hammer. You know that was the right. other day, a oh, ball peen hammer. What's that? <laughs> well, uh, hopefully I only have to show it to you <laughs> once. <laughs> yeah, starting to learn is always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, and that's and it's on the teacher a lot of the times. Because that that was bad on me because I didn't teach it, and I've I've been out there with wardens that I'm trying to teach, and uh, 
yeah, I, I forgot that lesson, and then I get mad. <laughs> and they're like, well, yeah. you never taught us that. And you can't you never taught us that, man. I need to see an example. I do best by seeing, right? Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I get ahead of myself. So I don't know if you have that, that issue or not, but sometimes I get ahead of myself, and I always think that I've taught them. <laughs> yeah, there's a fine line between teaching effectively and then doing it yourself, right, and having them kind of watch and go along. And sometimes when speed of us is of the essence and efficiency is an issue, sometimes I jump in and do a little too much and do more doing than teaching. But, you know, you were an FTO for a lot of years and, and I had a lot of good FTO trainees before I promoted. And I remember that was kind of the ultimate test of how effective we are as teachers when we kind of pull back, watch them grow, watch them make the mistakes we made in different ones and go back and kind of relive their experiences and just try to fill in the blanks and not do it for them, but dress them for a little bit of success. Let them fail forward with those minor mistakes, right? That aren't officer safety, major catastrophic errors. And that was uh, that was the litmus test, I think, for me as an effective teacher throughout all the teaching I've done in my career. And I, I know you had a lot of that too. Uh, absolutely. You know, that's, that's funny you say that because you're right. You got to let them go and you got to let them do it. And, and sometimes I found out that they did it better. And sometimes they looked at it from a different angle Especially catching oh, yeah. poachers, you know, they'd always want my opinion. And I'm like, I, I don't want to give it to you because I want you to look at that problem from a different angle, from a fresh perspective. Because I haven't been able to catch that guy and may, maybe a fresh perspective can. Yeah, it absolutely helps. And, and you're not giving away the farm and you're letting them really dive into a, a discomfort zone. My thing is I just always want to – I'm a team guy, right? So I always want to help whoever I'm with. Mm. I want to make their life easier, make the job easier, safer. I want to, you know – take some of the burden away, but it was kind of hard at first, especially my first cycle as a FTO versus being a trainee or a solo warden to step back and let their minds work through problems and not want to go in and solve that problem for them, you know, thinking they're missing something kind of being that, you know, kind of controlling teaching entity, if you will. So it's a fine line. It's a fine line. And I know we both have matured as instructors by Mm. learning to back away, learning to get that fresh perspective from them. And learning from them ourselves. Right. And letting, when you, when you hit that team effort, everybody has their job and usually everybody knows what the others are good, good at, <coughs> excuse me. And, and letting, you know, even younger guys do their job that you know they're good at. And just, I, I guess, being a good supervisor and stepping aside and, and letting that team work. Yeah, for sure. And I know when you fast forward way to the end of my career, which we talked about on a couple of your episodes as, as we met, when our marijuana enforcement team and our special ops unit was put together, I had so many skilled professional guys that were so good at certain skill sets and good at their craft in certain areas. It wasn't even stepping in at all. It was, I defer to you. You're a master welder and fabricator to build this you know, device we need for tactical training mm. for, you know, on the ocean, or we got to fix a quad trailer. We got to you know, improvise in the field on on a helicopter skid, whatever the case may be. Um, and just watching those guys work is just, I mean, it's just magic, man. Yeah. You know, somebody that's that good at it and confident and really empowered to go do that job. And they feel very, you know, fortunate that they're filling that niche on a team environment. And that's, that's a fine line, right? Wayne, we're solo game wardens. We got to do everything. Usually we don't have a partner from a patrol standpoint, but when we became FTOs, we were two man team, right? You know, for however long that was, a month, two months, whatever the cycles were in your state or my state or anywhere in between. And there's a, and you get, you need to develop that teamwork now, especially in today's law enforcement world when we are jumping in with other agencies a lot and having to fill and flow with our skill sets. So 
um, it just goes back to that whole teaching formation and um, being solo when we need to, but being able to jump into a unit and shine where we're supposed to shine for the benefit of the whole unit. Pretty cool. And there's so many facets that we as game wardens can fill. Um, you know, I ran the airboat team in New Hampshire and you took on this special ops training and I'm, I'm kind of jealous because there's, there's, you know, I would have loved to do something like that. And yet it's, it's so hard to figure out there's only so much time and it's hard to figure out what you want to do, what your niches are. And if I had to do go back, I'd probably do it differently just to have different experiences. Right, right. I certainly would. There's things, you know, the six years I had after co-developing the the Met unit and and running it and doing every aspect within it, you know, there's certainly things I would have done a little different looking back. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but what I but what I learned at the end of my career was it was it was just a flood, you know, such a flood of knowledge when you had that many people to work with and to supervise and also be partners with and to look out for. Um it was quite a challenge, you know, even, you know, 25 years in deep and it just goes to, we know as game wardens and as, you know, first responders everywhere in other agencies, you never stop learning on this job. Right. Every day is something new. And I probably learned as much, if not more that last five years. than I de- even did my first five. So, um, that w- that's kind of eye opening and people going into the, the profession and the career or there now, just, just be ready for that. It's never going to end on the learning phase. Right. No. And you know, there's one thing that I, I still to this day, I just love that I did and new people getting into this type of job, you know, was working for the national park service. I bounced all over the country and did different things everywhere. Worked in West right. Virginia, did whitewater rafting, became a whitewater ranger. The most adrenaline I think I've ever had in my life. Whitewater rafting. Right. And then I went oh, yeah. to Wisconsin to Lake Superior. I ran a 25-foot whaler. Got some very intense boat training up there, which was was priceless throughout my whole career. It was priceless. And then I ended up on the beach at Assateague Island National Seashore on the Virginia side and dealt with a ton of people, people issues, because the beach was always full, piping plovers, living on the beach. It's just, you know, when people ask me if you go back and do something, and, you know, I'm like, being a park ranger, it was a law enforcement park ranger, you get to live and work in the best places in the United States. And it's just a cool. So it's like a game yeah, warden as you move around the country. <laughs> yeah, it is. On federal level, that's what's so cool. And I mean, look at the diversity of experiences you had before coming over to a state mm. and being a game warden, you know, up there in the Northeast. It's, it was invaluable. Right. And I know for me, it was kind of similar. I didn't have a federal job before the state job, but I traveled all over the country. I backpacked, I hiked, I rafted the Grand Canyon multiple times, hike the Grand Canyon, um, just being kind of that conservation adventurer in and around the development to become a game warden. And one thing when I became a game warden, I got to do every aspect of what California has to offer and being a diverse state with a big marine enforcement component because we're right there on the Pacific Ocean coastline, did a lot of offshore, far distance offshore patrol, boarding officer on a, a, an ocean vessel, did a lot of inland lake patrols, on the smaller vessels got to work with some of the best boat crews, I think in the state for sure, if not part of the country. And that was one facet that I wish I had done more of, Mm. you know, I did, did it, did enough of it as a part-time boarding officer. I wasn't, you know, assigned to a boat. I always had an inland district, but um, I'm grateful for that time. And looking back, all the special operations stuff was definitely what I was meant to do. And it was a forte, if you will, and very lucky, 
but uh, I miss the boat, man. I miss getting out <laughs> on the ocean and, you know, working Catalina Island with the guys, you know, 50 to a hundred miles offshore and lot yeah. everything from lobster openers, to rockfish to salmon and, you know, um, Homeland security protection details that kind of roped in around the resource crimes, the ocean's magic. And, uh, and, and being on a boat with, with skilled operators, just a, just a treat. It was fun. Yeah. You sound like that typical California boy. You had a surfboard too, didn't you? Yeah, well, <laughs> sort of. I had a boogie board. I wasn't really a big surfer, but uh, yeah, I, I was I was that coastal guy for sure growing up here, yeah. Yeah, the, the one thing I did that, you know, it still instills in me today, and I still do it with is work with Operation Game Thief, which trying to get that information yes. and, and, and from the general public, yep. working with the general public. And I know that you got some really good forte of working with the general public as uh, uh, becoming an outdoor woman and, and all the stuff that you did. And, you know, this Operation Game Thief program for me and then working with International Wildlife Crime Stoppers has been huge and just learned about this, this elk poaching case in, in Utah. And I just, as soon as I heard about it, I'm like, you know, that's something we need to talk about. Yeah, that was one of those cases. And we had that conversation yesterday with Chad over in, in Utah. It was amazing to see how fired up they're getting about this case and why. And it was just the same, I'm sure, that you would have over on the East Coast. This is, the, the case we talked about yesterday with him on this elk poaching deal was, it was one of those like top five cases that we look back on a career and go, you know, when you have the most deliberate, intentional, and wasting, just disgusting poachers killing trophy bulls mm. in an area you don't even hunt by the ski resorts, you know, in par- the Park City area of Utah with 22 long rifles. I mean, that's as bad as it gets. So yeah. pull out all the stops. Let's catch these guys. And and they're doing a killer job on this investigation, as you and I learned, and getting a little, little more help from the public than you and I are used to, given the digital age, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that can be overwhelming for a game warden when social media starts exploding, when the calls are rolling in. Yeah. and. The amount of information that you get is credible and relevant. It's very small. Even as a warden, it's hard to keep a positive attitude when you're getting so much of that information and so much of it, A, you may already know, or B, isn't really relevant. Right. So, and that's that's what they're dealing with. And just uh, without getting into details, you can tell they're doing the fundamental, hardcore, and just everybody wants them this guy caught tomorrow. And that's, uh, that's what I got to tell everybody. Put on the break. We talk about frozen elk that we're dealing with necropsies. Yeah. And this is, this is not an investigation. That's a simple, like license undersized fish mm. or, you know, one animal that's not tagged case. This isn't a slam dunk quick pinch. This is going to be a forensic challenge. Right. And like we talked about yesterday, you just said frozen elk carcasses. This is happening in the dead of winter. Conditions are rough. You know, evidence is tough to find. And, leads are leads are kind of thin you know the way this thing works so with the gofundme page that has been generated on this case that we're going to dive into more when when the full podcast is aired um, being able to help this case out by getting the word out through our thin green line podcast is is something we never had in in your career my career i mean this was unheard of that we could talk about this from a game warden specific forum that the entire public can listen to and maybe help this case along just by sharing information, of course, multiplying. So it's exciting, and we want to catch these guys and help help Utah do it any way we can. Right, absolutely. You know, the GoFundMe page is it's really important. The, the public getting involved with this elk case is really important. And you know, you know what just hits me now is uh, these guys are trying to do interviews, and we have this coronavirus going around. Right. They're, they got to talk to these people. That's, that's part of this huge investigation is talking, interacting, with the public. And, you know, we just heard yesterday that uh, they're trying to down 
you know, if you don't have to contact people, don't count contact people, which I, I get. Or I'm sure game wardens are limiting their contact as well. And then we have this investigation go on. What, what a monkey wrench to throw in an investigation that you're not really supposed to be interacting with people when you have interviews to do. Yeah, it's, it's the worst timing. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no good timing for coronavirus, you know, pan, a worldwide pandemic, horrible thing that we're going through. But yeah. we're, we're all dealing with it. You know, we're unifying as a country and, 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 and so far so good. But for a case like this, that that evidence trail is going to get cold quick, mm-hmm. right? Conditions are bad. More snow's coming. You're going to have a spring thaw. Things are going to deteriorate. Um, colder weather witnesses aren't out and about, you know, running around in sunshine out on the slopes, you know, and, and you're right. Our wardens out there are having to limit their exposure for safety reasons, but they're not going to stop. No, you know, we, as game wardens, we're as passionate about our wildlife crimes as is the public about other mainline crimes that, that all of us in the law enforcement first responder circle got to deal with. And it brings up the question of the tenacity of green line. We don't stop because of a pandemic. We're still going to solve wildlife crimes safely. Of course, we might be slowed down. And as you Mm -hmm. said, you know, perfectly, we're going to limit our exposure and not unduly put ourselves in harm's way, but we're not going to stop, you know, because uh, these guys need to be caught. And with the help of the public, even from kind of quarantining in place, we can do a lot with the digital, digital age, with media, with the GoFundMe, with Instagram, with Facebook, with just using our, our phones and not having to contact face to face and maybe get some leads. Right. And we're going to delve more, a lot more into this in the Thin Green Line podcast that we're going to be doing off of Patreon. Yeah. And we're going to get right into a lot of the different things that uh, we can do as game wardens, we can do as outdoorsmen, um, the, the types of things that we can prepare for. Um, yeah, so we're going to, the Thin Green Line, that, that's the podcast that, you know, people want to become a member with Patreon to listen to our other podcast, the Thin Green Line, because uh, we're, we're going to put some time into this and uh, we're going to talk about it. And I, I think uh, we're going to share some cool stuff as, as from an outdoors perspective, as a game warden's perspective, from fans of Northwoods Law, maybe they can learn a few things that you know, are pretty cool just to, just to have in your house, no matter where you live, you can prepare for a pandemic. That's it's, it's not that hard and you can be pretty comfortable for quite a long time. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, since, since the advent of wild justice on the West coast and Northwoods lot on the East coast and these game warden reality shows that have really exposed what we do more comprehensively, we have so many people that are fans of those shows. And even though they're not necessarily going to be a game warden, they're part of the thin green line too, right, Wayne? Because Absolutely. they're our eyes and ears and they're protecting our wildlife, waterways, and wild lands. So one thing that's so cool about our podcast, the thin green line, is we're going to be able to take direct questions and direct topic ideas from our listeners mm. and dive in further. Yes. You know, and you, you mentioned the Patreon program where certain memberships are going to allow some one-on-one, you know, specific group discussions via a video conference, if you will. Uh, We're going to have a lot of different opportunities as this thing morphs and evolves and really try to be a little more catering to that thin green line supporter within and without of the profession of being a game warden. Uh, It's going to be exciting and um, I'd like like to see it develop. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I think of, and and you've, you've, you've already done this is, you know, the, the basic of surviving a pandemic, let's say is having a knife. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. 
Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. And you've, you've created something like that too, that I think, like I said, you don't have to be an operator. You don't have to, to, to be a, a game warden for to have a really right. good knife and to have someone with experience like you develop this. So I was hoping you could talk about and share the, the, this whole knife and the collaboration and everything, because I think, you know, Warden's Watch listeners would be excited to know about that. And a, have sure. a game warden developed knife is pretty sweet. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. it it's kind of cool. Uh, as bad as this pandemic is, what just dropped literally two weeks ago, and it, it, we haven't, it's kind of been a soft drop for my Trailblazer. It's called the Trailblazer Thin Green Line Signature Knife. It's a folder. My call sign was Trailblazer my whole career, both in and out of special operations. And um, this was made specifically for the thin green line of conservation officers and all first responders. I know, I'm sure you can share the same experience. I carried probably seven or eight everyday knives throughout my career that were always on my body, you know, in a cargo pocket somewhere on the uniform. And none of those knives had every tool I really felt I needed. They did you know, one job really well, they mm -hmm. didn't have a tool to do another job. So one thing I found that I needed, and even for civilian use, whether you're, you know, a mom with her kids in your car going to the grocery store, and you might need to break glass to get out of a stranded vehicle. Mm. You might have to cut a seatbelt, you know, without putting a sharp blade up around an area when you're locked in with a seatbelt. So my trailblazer is a folder. It's got a glass breaker, that's very small and compact and out of the way. It's got a seatbelt or emergency harness or a webbing cutter um, with a razor blade insert that does not affect the, the good edge on your on the D2 steel blade we have for the main blade. We have straight blades. We have partially serrated and, and straight blades. All the blades are drop points. So even though it is a survivor, you know, quote unquote knife, um, you can skin and gut with it. Thin green line, we're going to need to be able to do that, survivalists. Um, but it's an everyday carry for civilians as well. Um, I collaborated with Mike Velikamp, who is the founder of the Bee Knives Company. Great guy. We become great friends in the process. He started his career actually running the factory for Spyderco knives, which we all know, mm. way back when he was 19 years old in, in Colorado. Wow. And so he's been designing knives for these big companies for the better part of you know three decades and now he's got his own brand and his own shop. We've got a couple of retail stores, lifetime warranty on them, uh, watertight, you know, O-ring gasketed box with all the extra tools you never get in a knife and a lifetime warranty. So um, excited. Want to get? Yeah, it's, it's coming together nice and the trailblazers are now available and we'll have a commercial, uh, you know, listener package, the opportunity to be a, a big part of the thin green line and have that knife be part of that, that gift pack. Um, so the, the triple threat package that we're going to offer for our members on Patreon, you're going to get your choice of four different models of the thin green line trailblazer folding knife. We'll laser engrave signatures on the blade as well. So you'll get a signed knife that the general public doesn't get. Nice. You get a signed copy of my newest book, Hidden War, um, as well as a thin green line wristband. Um, nice. I wear this 24-7 just to represent conservation, not just as an LEO. But, uh, but now our followers are starting to try to buy these wristbands and things like that to represent what the Thin Green Line stands for for all of us. And I'm going to throw that into that pack. So that's the triple threat Thin Green Line package you're going to get for a certain membership fee as a member of the Thin Green Line podcast uh, through nice. the Patreon program. And we're excited to get them out to anybody that wants to participate. 
Yeah, well, it's it sounds like just a stellar knife for whether you're a first responder or just for for everybody to have. I know my wife has in in her car. She has a window breaker that's right there, and it's big, it's gaudy, and she doesn't want every time I say, "Why don't you get rid of it?" No, no, we're not. We're, that window breaker is very very important to her. To, to put yeah. that on a knife that you have multiple things to do, you know, I'm sure a seatbelt. If I told her about seatbelt cutter and a, a window breaker, I think my wife's going to buy your knife. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll love to get her one, buddy. We want to keep our family safe. And, and like I said, even though it was designed with us first responder thin green liners and law enforcement and military in mind, it's light and compact for everyday carry. And actually, in the first the first run was a thousand knives and four hundred of them are already sold. And we haven't even really launched the knife yet. And a majority of the sales are going to husbands are buying them for their wives to have in the car yeah. for that very thing that that your wife's looking for break a window if I need to get the kids out and I'm over the side or stranded and cut a seatbelt without using the blade to, to, you know, to harm a body. The other thing that I want to mention on the knife, that's kind of cool. And this is going to, this is going to touch all of us on the thin green line as game wardens um, very deeply is the first hundred of the knives were made 150 actually were purchased by our California wildlife officers foundation, CalWAF. And that's a, a, a foundation for California game wardens that pick up the financial pieces that we just don't have in operations. They have a scholarship fund for warden's children uh, that they can compete for. And of course, if we had a fallen officer or a fallen canine, the foundation will pick up and help that. And uh, nice. they purchased 150 knives for one of our recently uh, deceased game wardens, Jeff Gladstone, who was only in his 30s. And I actually had the privilege of training him way back in the day in the academy. Wonderful young game warden out of San Diego. His career ended very short when he was terminally diagnosed with cancer. He died just before Christmas this last year in 2019. And the, those 150 knives were fundraisers with his badge number and his initials, JG713, laser engraved on the first 150 trailblazers with a thin green line color insert on a black handle to go out to people that bought them. And all those funds went to the family. We generated over $10,000 for the Gladstone family and sold out in a day and a half of those 150 knives. And that's really what this knife is about. It's about saving lives. It's about standing for something that matters, you know, that we all can get behind in the thin green line. And we will have them available for, for a while longer before they go. Yeah, that's special. That makes it that much more special. No. Yeah. So, well, let's get into the rest of the podcast. We're going to go to Utah and learn about this, uh, you know, relevant recent case that is currently ongoing and maybe someone was out skiing in, in Park City and actually saw something and has something to apply. International Wildlife Crime Stoppers has a, a number you can call and give information there. Uh, Utah has, you know, an anti-poaching hotline as well that I'll, I'll see if I can get the number for just in case that somebody out there was out there skiing and has a little bit of information. You know, I know our podcast goes far and wide, but you, you just never know where that piece of information comes from. Yeah, exactly, Wayne. And in this case, it was in such a non-hunting area. I mean, a ski resort was right across the street. Mm. You know, so this is an area that gets a little bit of traffic, and it was dead of winter very recently. So this case might be cracked by a non-hunter. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it very well might be. So hopefully, we can we can get something from generated from that, getting that word out. Okay, so we're gonna get right into that right now. So I have with me today Lieutenant Chad Betridge from the Utah. DNR, along with uh, my co-host, former Lieutenant John Norris out of California and currently lives in Montana. John's going to be starting to join us on a lot of these uh, 
these talks, and uh, we're going to be collaborating on a whole lot, bunch of stuff. Right now, we are going to focus on, a, on an open case in Utah that caught my attention a couple weeks ago, and I think it catches a lot of sportsmen's attention when we see something so heinous and so yeah. bad, you know, like this, Lieutenant. And uh, c- can you just bring us back to that that whole scene and, and walk us through this? So uh, initially. Uh there was a whole lot of people in the area of Park City that would drive by and see these elk in a in a snow covered field, and there were there were quite a few elk. There were a lot of bulls, a lot of uh, mature bulls, and uh, you know people kind of got a kick out of driving back and forth and, and watching the bulls. And then one day the bulls weren't there, so a uh, a member of the public kind of just started doing a little bit of investigating, and ended up finding a bull carcass, and then called the uh, our our poaching tip line nice. and uh, an officer in the area responded and ended up finding six uh, bull carcasses. Uh, five of them were trophy bull elk in Utah, which means at least six points on one side. And the other one was a, a, a five by five. Wow. Nice bulls. Yeah. They were, they were all mature bulls and uh, they, and some of them were, were really nice bulls. Mm. So can can you share with us? I mean, I know with sometimes with investigations, you know, some things you don't want to share with the general public. Some things you want to keep to yourself, so you know when that tip is, you know, correct and stuff. Is there there's, there's some details that you know you can share? Were the six bulls all stacked up in one spot? Were they different areas? No, they were. Uh, they were all in the general in the same general area. Um, so it was it wasn't uh, multiple instances. They were all killed relatively close to each other and they were all shot um in fact one of them uh, there was there were multiple firearms used to to kill the animals and and we actually did pull a 22 caliber round out of one of the carcasses so so which in in normal situations a 22 probably wouldn't kill an elk it was just you know kind of hurt it and kind of just it it seems like something to, to i don't know the reason behind shooting an elk with a 22 Right. Oh, stupid. So, Chad, I, without, I mean, you know, we're getting too much of the investigation that you can, like Wayne mentioned. What we saw here on the West Coast a lot was these undercaliber poachers, you know, using way, you know, light calibers for, like you said, an elk with a 22, but doing it because it was quiet, because yeah. it was compact, using like a Ruger 1022 right out of the window, driving by with a little wind, you know, they could hardly hear that shot. And just putting it behind the ear, you know, or somewhere where they they don't have to penetrate any 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 heavy shoulder or tissue or muscle mass, and and effectively doing it sometimes with multiple shots. But wonder if uh, you know so there's something like that going on here, just to be more deliberate, you know, more stealthy, more intentional. Um, sure. Especially since they were trophy bulls, these guys don't sound like poachers that are coming out just to get you know me when they're banging down bulls like that. Just just you know heinous, deliberate guys. For sure, and and it's possible uh, something like that did take place. Um, just the, the circumstances that we found, we only found a twenty-two caliber in one carcass, so okay. it's not like they the, all of the carcasses were 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 shot up with twenty twos. And unfortunately, in this situation, the, the uh, individuals who did this didn't didn't take any antlers, didn't take any meat. The carcasses, everything was just let left to lie there on the hillside, and wow. uh, just. Senseless. And so it's, and that's kind of what has sparked so much interest is it's just a complete, you know, waste and wanton disregard of, of these elk and somebody just shot them and let them, left them there. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think we all have the poachers that shoot something and eat something and catch them. It's almost like the coyote and the, the sheepdog scenario. And that, that, you know, at least you have a little respect for the guys that are actually going to use it. For those people that just take the trophies or take nothing, I just find that so senseless. Yeah, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in this situation. Yeah, and it angers us as game wardens, and it certainly, in this case, angered the public, didn't it? Yeah, the, the public have, have, have voiced their opinion multiple times. <laughs> it's been one of the more, more popular media topics that have been out there so far this year, for sure. Right, and that puts a lot of pressure on you, doesn't it, Lieutenant? It does. I mean, it, 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 it's great that we get the, the media is interested and they, and they want to help as much as they can when we're going through an investigation, collecting the evidence and, and, and doing interviews and different things like that. And the media wants to know what's going on, what's going on, what's going on. And they're, they're not patient to, to let the investigation, you know, work its way through. So that there is some additional pressure put there. Mm. Yeah. And with wildlife crimes, it takes time sometimes. It's not the quick, easy stuff. It's the evidence collecting. And these people don't understand that we go out in the snow and depending how long these carcasses have been there, they're frozen stiff. You know, you got to thaw them to get that evidence out. you got to process them in the field, which depending on the weather, geez, I've had some blowing snow cases where I'm, I'm trying to get a moose out of the woods. That's just insane because we got to thaw it to, to, to get evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this, you know, this was right during, uh, during the snow season up in Park City, the ski resorts just across the, the highway from where these elk were killed so it was middle of winter and and in, in this situation we brought one of our canines down to help see if we you know missed any additional evidence and stuff like that it's just and and because of the snow and because of different factors we we're still working through that process so and we'll be till spring and summer probably if you, you don't uh, make we it will. before this, then yeah it's it's gonna it's it's literally an ongoing investigation <laughs> yeah and, and it yeah. takes time even good investigations take time but anything that you can ask the public to do i mean geez some some of these people don't understand what they see sometimes and what they hear sometimes and then after you know something is an arrest is made nine months down the road or something they're like huh geez i i heard something that night heard uh, i thought it was a backfire of a car or something like that i mean i mean hopefully we're going to reach out to the public and maybe get some of that critical information that you're looking for the public has been has been really helpful in one regard as far as kind of shortening the time frame as far as when yeah. they all went down. So we've gotten a lot of videos, a lot of pictures of the elk while they were alive and, mm. and different things. So we've we've narrowed the timeline down quite a bit. Um, so we, we do have a pretty good idea of, of when exactly this all went down. It's it is uh, an interesting area that is Park City is 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 not full of hunters. So mm. they they're people that don't necessarily relate to the, your average hunter and different things like that. So they are even more interested in, in trying to get to the bottom of this. I, I think there was a, there, you may have heard about it. There was a GoFundMe account that was created to offer right. a reward for any information. And, and, and it skyrocketed. Last I heard it was $20,000 and wow. there was a rumor that somebody was going to match it. So it's possible there could be $40,000 on the table. That's uh. That's a big step for any investigation that I think any of us have worked, you know, in the, in the new age of GoFundMe and Kickstarter and social media. Uh, it seems like the media is, is hindrance as that can be as far as, you know, how good your investigation is going and not getting in the way of that. 
it seems like you have a great community if the media is that supportive could could broadcast that for you hopefully and um and put that to use you know and get a bunch of eyes and ears out there as, uh, with those funds yeah we've had we've had a lot of different calls on this and and some of them have been helpful and some of them have just been information that we already knew but we do have a lot of support from the public specifically in that park city area yeah and that's awesome that's a, a lot to, to comprehend and to digest too. When your phone starts uh, firing off like that, I, I ran, I run the Operation Game Thief program in New Hampshire, and you know when you get inundated with calls like that, and it's <laughs> you're looking for that quality information, and it's tough a when you get the same call over and over again, but you want to don't want to discourage it at the same time. Absolutely, what we've we've managed to do here is uh, so the officer that the, the the case officer on this investigation. You know, he also has his district that he's got to take care of and other cases and stuff. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of the calls that have been come in, coming in have been directed to our administration, to me. I've taken quite a few of these calls. <laughs> and to, you know, so we can kind of sift through that information and see if we can triage a little bit and help, you know, send stuff out to the officer that, that he doesn't know that's anything new and, and stuff that we already have the information on. We, we, we kind of just record it and don't necessarily send him off on another, uh, you know, while just right. trying to track something else down. So. Well, I know yeah. they appreciate that. I'm sure he does, yes. <laughs> yeah, because getting inundated Be with better, phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's good. And I have talked to those people, one of the people that started that GoFundMe page, it was up to $21,000, and he does have somebody that will throw in another $20,000, you know, if the information is good to, to make that happen. So yeah, there's a potential of $40,000 in rewards and that, that turns a lot of people. I mean, if there's multiple people involved and, you know, if I can stay clean and turn in my buddy and, and make 40 grand, you know, maybe that's a deal yeah. I want to make. That's, you know, I've, I've had that happen. I've had them throw their, their, their friends underneath the bus for a monetary gain. It's, you know, it, it, it does bring a lot of people with with interest out and then the phone lines do kind of go crazy uh we have gotten some some pretty good information out of it there's been a, a couple of license plates that we tracked down that i that we're still kind of in the process of, of working on and like so i talked about before the time frame and stuff like that so the the fact that there is so much interest from the public in this is has been more helpful than not so right. and, and i do think the, the gofundme account has has sparked a lot of more interest than it usually would be there well, and I think too, guys, with um, with this GoFundMe account, this is the first case we've heard of something being generated so quickly and so much funds coming in. And it's kind of, uh, it's encouraging, you know, to see that much passion for our wildlife. And it may not be coming just from conservationists, but even just outdoor enthusiasts. And it's a great tool that, you know, we want to tell more people about in other states where that could make or break a case, literally like you said, Wayne, where... We've had people turn each other in for some sort of good reward through our CalTIP. Well, we call it CalTIP program out here in uh, California, but the same, you know, we tip hotline chat that you had and Wayne, we've got back east. This just exponentially increases that that program's effectiveness, especially in the new age of social media. It's, it's, it's exciting to see this work and, and hopefully continues to for this case, especially for you. Well, and for sure, in addition to that, our agency does have a reward program, you know, where if we can, you know, if if an animal is poached on a limited entry area in Utah, you could be eligible for a tag for that area. Or we do have some monetary amounts, that, but it only it goes up to a thousand dollars. So when you compare our reward system to the public's in this case, the public's is much more 
Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. There's, there's a lot more interest in the public than ours. So, yeah, for sure. We are the same way in California, about a thousand dollar limit. And it, it works sometimes, but a lot of times just the red tape to get that reward. Sometimes it's just the, the good heartedness of that particular reporting party wanting to turn somebody in on a, on a multitude of wildlife violations. But absolutely, yeah, it wasn't always for the monetary value, but this, this, is, this is a whole different game with this type of, uh, this type of funding you're talking about. Yeah, I actually started a GoFundMe page for a peregrine falcon that was shot to have the public engage. So this peregrine was shot with a 22 as well. Uh, we had campused <laughs> the area, and I said, you know, hey, I'm going to throw it out there, do a GoFundMe page. We actually raised several thousand dollars in addition nice. to what, and, and our Operation Game Thief is a nonprofit, so they were going to match everything that we did on the GoFundMe page. So $2,000 right. would have turned into $4,000, which was a, a really cool opportunity for us. And I also put in there that anything that, you know, if we didn't find a perpetrator, which we didn't, that the money would go into Operation Game Thief for future cases like this. And um, unfortunately, she's the officer and, you know, he always expresses frustration. And I had a wildlife artist actually paint a picture at our, at our annual fundraiser. We do a banquet and I had him picture, paint a picture of a peregrine falcon because I wanted to tell that story. I wanted, you know, it's still, it's the cases that I didn't make that burned me. It's not the cases that I made, like that Paragon, even though it wasn't my case, I, I, I had some skin in the game, was starting that no that GoFundMe page, and, you know, I was in contact with that officer, he was doing campuses, he recampus. you know, every bird feeder he was at, because he figures that maybe it was hitting some birds at the bird feeder or taking something out and someone shot it because of that, he, he didn't. And the best investigation he could and then we still came up with nothing and it was frustrating so it was mm. it was kind of neat for me to have that you know grant hacking international wildlife artist pretty awesome he did that peregrine falcon and i told that story at our fundraiser and it just that it personal meeting i bid up a thousand dollars on it and i could tell the guy wasn't going to let go <laughs> but uh, it, it became personal and I, I think you know to the officer that's engaging in this i bet it becomes personal to him too because as game wardens yeah, it's it's hard to say quit, isn't it, guys? Uh, it's it, especially in a case like this. Um, big bulls killed the twenty twos and wasted. That doesn't get any more egregious and just get outrageous on a deep personal level uh, in the game warden community uh, than than any case. That's as bad as it gets, aren't you? Absolutely. It's it's it, the the officer that I, I talked to him multiple times. He's frustrated just about the incident, and and it's something that I'm sure. Well, you know, there's the, those times where you just stay up at night thinking about what you could have done better or what, what you should do next. And, and it, and it just leads to some maybe sleepless nights. You know, there's questions I want to ask that I don't want to ask, you know, those things that I, <laughs> I, I have personal curiosity as a game warden, but I don't want the general public to know because I, I don't want to tip our hand. If the poacher happens to get a hold of this podcast and, and says, Oh, you know, that's this or that's that. I don't want to do that. Cause that isn't what I want to, you know, raise awareness that this is going on. And you know, our audience is nationwide Canada. So the odds of us getting that, that tip, but it sounds like that park city area is pretty, uh, 
people are moving in and out of that place all the time to go skiing, aren't they? No, it, and well, not right now because of the the <laughs> virus has kind of shut down the planet, so it is supposed to take down right now. But but that is a very popular area. Yeah. Mm-hmm. During the time of the poaching, there was quite a bit of in, influx and people moving in and around the area. That's that's true. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a busy, busy area. Yeah, skiing is shut down in the east, too. My son got his last runs in the, the, the day they closed. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how is the, the the virus going on out in Utah, you know, Lieutenant? I mean, and are you guys getting involved anyway? Just out of curiosity now. Right now we're... We haven't been asked to, to, to get involved as far as a, a law enforcement presence or anything like that. Um, our administration's working from home. Uh, you know, we're and, the, and officers are, are while they're still out doing their patrol work and stuff like that. They're they are suggested to kind of limit contact with people and, and unless it's it's something that they they do need to, to get involved with. So it's 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 making a, a difference here. Uh, I'm not. I don't think we have as many confirmed cases as many places around the country, but uh, it, it's definitely making a difference here. Yeah, John's in yeah. California, so yeah. And out, out here, guys, like I'm talking to Wayne before the broadcast, Chad. We've uh, you know um, kind of based out of the West Coast for a few more weeks, potentially, just because of um, all the first responder needs here and family needs. But um, the biggest thing we're seeing now is more of the panic, you know, from the masses when you know, the store shelves are empty and this whole, you know, ongoing national almost, there's almost a satire on the toilet paper, you know, problem now. Right. And yeah. all the, all the, all the different humor jokes popping up on social media, but it's, it's just amazing to see in, in the urban centers. Cause I was originally from the Silicon Valley area and, and based a, a good portion of my career um, out on this side and to see it erode so quickly and see the panic and kind of the, uh, you know, just cutthroat mentality start with people when we don't have a, you know, I haven't seen a confirmed case. We have quite a few cases in California, but um, we don't have, you know, confirmed cases necessarily so close to us right here going on that anyone's actually seen. But the, but the panic is alarming. And uh, hence, in the several Bay Area counties where I'm originally from, um, basically everybody's kind of on, they're on lockdown from anything non-essential. And if you're not a first responder uh, or a medical professional or in another essential job, and there's a pretty long list of those, you stand home and um, that you're not supposed to be out for anything but going to the grocery store or exercising at good social distance if you need to get out and walk around because of what they anticipate uh, future problems happening almost daily. And that that's alarming to see, definitely, um, when we haven't seen a, a, an actual case in our face yet, so to speak. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, the more population you have, the more problems you have. That's why I like living in the woods. The internet sucks, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, today it's not too bad. So, no, anything uh, in wrapping this uh, interview up, uh, Lieutenant, that we can, uh, you know, do more or, you know, get the word out or, you know, just, just you know, help you guys do your job? I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. This was, uh, this was good. I've, I've been able to talk to quite a few different uh, media outlets specifically about this case and and i think the word is getting out there uh it's spreading a lot wider than i initially thought it would but it's it's something that uh, obviously the public's interested in and 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 traditional hunters and and people who who care about wildlife you know are are interested in finding out who did who did this deed so i think it's uh, you guys are doing a good job and i appreciate it 
Uh, we, we really appreciate having you on, Lieutenant. And something um, Wayne and I are going to do with the new Fan Green Line podcast, is that there's going to be an opportunity to do a lot more real-time reports where, you know, as we, we have so many brothers and sisters in the Fan Green Line, coast to coast, I'm kind of on the West Coast majority of my time. You know, Wayne's out there on the East Coast. You're kind of in that Southwest zone, not too far from me. And anybody in between, if we have a case like this, whether it's from your agency or other agencies around the country, that we can discuss it and spread the word and, you know, maybe bring in more uh, information that can help with the case. If nothing else, spread awareness for some of this stuff going on and our listeners will be on the lookout for it, even if they aren't in the profession, so to speak. And we're really trying to do that that won't cost anybody or will much lower cost than a huge media campaign per se. But we just appreciate you coming on and sharing this so we can hopefully pay it forward uh, for, on this case and future cases as well. That's been great, Ty. You know, keep my number if we can be helpful <laughs> to others in the future where we'll, we'll do everything we can as well so well i know that uh the iwc conference will be there in oh is it 2021 i think justin is uh the second vice president currently uh so um he's going to be working his way up the ranks so we'll be we'll be in utah eventually so i'm looking forward yeah, to yep, that and hopefully meet you then so for nope. sure i'll be there hey th- thanks a lot for coming on and we will uh work this and hopefully we'll have an update that's that's kind of what i'm looking for i'm looking let's catch this let's, uh, i want to say what the guy that uh, said would you know with the the gofundme page but i i, I yeah. try to keep it clean <laughs> but he wants to catch this guy really 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 bad <laughs> yeah. use your power i understand 100 percent. yeah <laughs> and i'm with him hopefully yeah. we'll have an update with with the score thanks again no, as soon as yeah, we get an update or, or when we when the case progresses that far, I, I yeah, we can get back and, and kind of discuss where we're at. That would be great. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Lieutenant. Thanks so much, Chad. Yeah, after doing that that, that interview, John, with, with with Chad, it just uh it, it fires me up. Uh, I think of all the moose cases that I've been on, the ones I've solved, the ones I haven't, and, and just the the blatantness of all of what they did it's just uh it gets under my skins as a game warden and i guess now as a semi-civilian <laughs> yeah i'm in the same boat with you wayne it's like even though we're retired i still very i'm still very passionate i still feel very embedded in any wildlife crime and wanting to help any way i can rather sending the message through our podcasts all the other public outreach we both do on both sides of the country and throughout uh, but this one hit home man this was a very egregious poaching case. I've had similar big game cases like this. Some that we, you know, a lot of them we solved, some we didn't, honestly. And this is one that needs to get caught. So mm-hmm. um, when this, when everybody hears this podcast and what they can do to help, at least we're given 110% effort to try to catch these bandits and, and kind of avenge, you know, the loss of, of these beautiful elk and the waste of meat and everything else. This is one that needs to be handled that we need to help on. Yeah, and it's just awesome that the civilians, you know, people that really like those elk are getting involved. And they're not waiting. They're saying, hey, we're going to set up a GoFundMe page. Oh. We're going we're gonna to yeah. drive this up until the, the guy's brother will turn him in because it's a big jackpot. And, uh, yeah, that, that it's funny how friends uh, go by the wayside when money gets involved. They really do, you know, and usually when you have a den of thieves, there's not a lot of loyalty or ethics or honor, you know, just pointing that out as everybody knows. And yeah. you're right, there's there's 20000 on the table, maybe even more soon enough. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big reward versus yeah. our cow tip or wheat tip turning poacher programs we see throughout our states. Mm-hmm. Um, quite an incentive, and I, I hope it does work, and I think it might. 
Yeah, no, no, let's let's hope it does, and hopefully we'll be doing a podcast in the near future with a success yeah. story. That 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 that's my hope. So I know yeah, it's yours. Well. Oh. Nope. Well, this is our first Warden's Watch uh, as a team, man. This is uh, pretty sweet. This is awesome, man. It's yeah. a little historical moment, and um, really glad. And thanks for uh, having me be part of it. This is this is going to be fun, and yeah, no we're just doubt. getting started, man. The snowball's starting to roll. Uh, absolutely. No, thanks a lot, John. Look forward to the future. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from Game Wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves Game Wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Through the blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.